Yeah, we got our uh, older kids in here with us this morning, so if they get a little um, antsy, uh, we'll just accredit that to the Holy Spirit moving through them, and uh, and we'll, it's not going to bother me. Uh, so, yeah, if you have your Bible, why don't you turn to John chapter 3. They won't be any more antsy than Willie, okay? I can guarantee you that. Uh, if you have your Bible, John chapter 3 is where we're going to be. In fact, it's going to take me just a few minutes to actually get to uh, John chapter 3 because I got a little bit of uh, kind of some work and so, a couple things uh, to address uh, this morning. Um, one thing I want to address is kind of something that's been, uh, I don't know if it, it may bother some of you, but it's been brought to me. Uh, and that is, if you have been with Refuge uh, for about a year and a half to two years, uh, and, and I understand it's, it's summertime right now and college students are out of town and uh, they'll be swarming back in here uh, pretty soon. But if you've, you've kind of noticed that uh, refuge point as a church, we've, we've shrunk a little bit. And I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but our church has done a little shrinkage, all right? Um, now, I would accredit that to a couple of things. Uh, one is which, and, and this part doesn't bother me because I know um, how, how people can be, uh, but just a few people of probably about 40 to 50 people uh, over the last uh, year and a half, a few of them just, you know, for fickle reasons uh, have left, but w fortunately that we don't have to uh, deal with a too much fickleness uh, because we, we know that we, we kind of notice that when people are fickle, uh, we, we just lead them out the back door. And um, no, we don't do that. Uh, Marina does. Um, the, the other reason, uh, the other thing that you've, you've probably, uh, what I would say is the reason that you've probably seen a shrink a little bit, because about 40 to 45 people have uh, moved away from, for jobs, for purposes of jobs, uh, some of them in which two couples uh, this year, one couple already uh, got married, they moved away, we have another couple we're marrying next week, this coming weekend that we're moving away, and in fact, I got five weddings this year, so that's, a, that's pretty cool. Um, beats having five funerals uh, like last year. That was terrible. Maybe that was the year before. I don't know. Um, and so we've, we've seen people get married, kind of move away. That's kind of the nature of what it seems like uh, is happening in our community and, and in our church. Uh, and some of the people, uh, surprisingly, uh, some of those people have actually moved away to do ministry work. Uh, some of them in state, some of them out of state. And, uh, and so we've just been watching God do something new in our church. And now, now here's what I would suggest about that. Um, it appears that the Lord is doing something different in our church, something that was not a part of my plan, that was not a part of our vision, uh, that God would somehow in his sovereignty make Refuge Point be a church that's sending people out. All right, and, and we've kind of talked about that a little bit. In fact, um, some of you may have been here. In fact, I think it was this day, this time last year, uh, Michael Wise was here, and he was preaching and speaking, and he even spoke that word over our church, that, that that 1K 2020 that you see is more about sending people. And we've honestly, we have felt the pain of that, all right, because that's a good thing. But let's be straight. The gospel is not just some glorious thing that we have this joy in, but it can be kind of a thing that stings a little bit uh, when we send people out. Now, now, here's what I know for us as a church that we have to do, 
and some things that the elders and I were going to have to start looking at is how we can be better at sending people out on mission, commissioning them out and preparing them uh, to do ministry as they are going out into uh, not just maybe ministry, but also doing uh, work in the marketplace, all right? Because the majority of these people, I mean, we've sent out uh, two young ladies already this year. They weren't going out to, to plant a church, but they're going out in the marketplace to, to be the light of Christ to uh, the people that they're working with. We, we, you guys probably a few weeks ago saw that we were sending out Caleb Shepherd and, and his bride. Uh, they're moving to Iowa and we're sending them out. They're not going to go plant a church, but they're going to be missionaries in a field. So when we're sending people out, it's not just that we're sending people out to do pastoring, to do uh, you know, you know, full-time ministry or vocational ministry. Uh, most of the time, we've got, a, we've got people who are just going out, just being missionaries, who are being sent out in a field that's not here. And so what I, our challenge is right now, kind of at a pivotal moment in our church, is either we can shake our fist to God, say, why are you sending this person out? Or thank God you're sending this person out. I don't know how you feel about some of these people, right? Uh, I can never assume, but we can either shake our fist to the heavens and, and ask God, God, why are you doing this? Or what we can do is align ourselves with what God is doing in this place and say we're going to be better at sending people uh, out. And so we have a couple this morning that we're going to be sending out, all right? I say all of that to say we're about to lose some more people. Now, the other thing I would say to that, that, you know, yes and amen, let's send, let's send people out. Let's, let's, let's equip them. Let's, let's see God work in their lives. Let's see God do the unimaginable. But, but the other part of that is we only got just a few more people to send out. Okay, so, so I'm going to need y'all to help me bring some people in because we got some folks here we got to care for, okay? And I can't do all that by myself. So, so I'm going to need y'all to start bringing some folks in here. You see, there's like this cycle that happens, and you'll see this cycle in the early church. God was exploding the church. The church was sending them out. God was bringing in people. The church was bringing them out. So... This couple that I'm going to ask to come up in just a minute, uh, they're going to a state in the U.S. And think about this. Put your mind around this for a second. They're going to a state in the United States of America where only 6% of the people are Christians. Now, that's unheard of because everybody in the South is a Christian. Right? I mean, everybody in the South. I mean, yeah, I... You know, I go to church, went one time 45 years ago, said this prayer, I'm a Christian, right? So, so we, have, uh, we have something that we're fighting against here in the Southeast, right? This Americanized, this nominal Christianity, but what they're going into is uh, wrought with this demonic, false Christ known as Mormonism, where only 6% are a part of the Protestant Christian church. So I'm going to ask Dan and Carrie to come up here. He's not just a family of our church, but these people are my family, all right? We vacation with these people. We do Thanksgiving with these people. And here God is sending them out into an incredibly demonic field where they're not just going to do a job, 
but where they're going to see the Spirit of God rise up in the face of this Antichrist and allow these Mormon beautiful temples to become the footstool of Jesus Christ because he said that my enemies are my footstool. And so what they're going to do is not just a job that Dan just received, but they're going to do ministry work. So I'm going to shut up for just a minute, and I'm going to allow them to speak about what God's doing in their lives and the move and how they're going to bless me with that Nord keyboard. But I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. He, he keeps mentioning that. <laughs> So Dan and I love to go on adventures. We've lived here for 15 years. That's the longest I've lived in any place in my whole life. Um, and we're excited about this, but it is scary as Christians to go into a place where it will be rare for us to find, you know, someone who believes what we believe. Um, I just wanted to, Matthew, I just want to tell you, you're way off on your statistics. Really? Yeah, it's way lower than that, which is <laughs> it's not 6%, it's 1.2% are Baptist, 0.1% Episcopalian, 5.1% Catholic, 0.2% Lutheran, 0% Methodist, 0.6% Pentecostal, 0.5% Presbyterian, 1.1% are another Christian faith, and then 71.7% are church it says here a church of jesus christ that's they incorrect they don't go by mormon anymore like <laughs> um are mormon yeah latter-day saints is what you know lds um we're gonna have adventures but we need your prayers because we're gonna go into a place that's different than any place i've ever lived in my life um i've never been out of the south since i got saved i got saved like a month before we moved down here and then i've been around you guys amazing people for five years so we need your prayers do you have anything you want to say I just want to paint a picture for you guys. Um, we were out there, started about a year ago, but we went out in October uh, with a couple friends, and there was a guy and two two females, younger twenties maybe, and uh, we were we were looking at the Mormon temple, most beautiful thing you've ever seen. It's it's almost sad, but um, so we were talking to the guy and. We're like, have you ever been in there? And he said, he said, yeah, I've been in there. I went through this, did this, did this. And the girl next to him said, well, you know, I haven't been in there. And we looked, asked the girl next to her. She's like, oh, I've never been in there. She's like, I'm not worthy. And uh, that's when we realized we're like, it is so sad because none of us are. And I was like, she thought she was unworthy for the wrong reasons, but at least she acknowledged she was unworthy he thought he was worthy because he had did something. I was like, all three of these guys missed it. And that's when we realized it's, we've got we to do something. So, I, That's all we have to say. I almost, I almost had the, the Holy Spirit almost started coming in there and leaking a little bit, almost. <laughs> Don't go nowhere, Carrie. Oh, yeah, put the mic down. So um, as I was preparing through John chapter 3, in fact, it's going to be weird that we're going through John, the last part of John chapter 3, because it's about uh, really ascending nature of Jesus Christ. 
Um, I was thinking about Acts chapter 20, where uh, Paul is at the end of his ministry in, in the church of Ephesus, and so he gathers his elders, he's got, got some friends, and, and, um, and he says, where the Spirit is taking me, and I'm paraphrasing here, I know there's going to be some pain, and I know there's going to be hurt, and it's going to be, it's going to be tough. In fact, where he was going, Jerusalem, that was going to be the end of his ministry, all right? Oh, I'm not speaking that over y'all. <laughs> the incredible thing is that when you see over, when you read through the Bible, you get this crazy glimpse of humanity in some of these um, apostles and disciples and evangelists. And the Bible says in verse 37 that Paul and these elders, they fell on their knees and they just begin to cry. I mean, when I think about these guys, that's, that's the image I get, that these are some beloved people of mine. These, are my, these aren't just friends. This is family to Miranda, myself, and my kids. So we're not just sending them out to do some job. We're sending them out to do ministry. And what I would like for us to do as a church is to just gather around them and, and pray over them and let's, let's send them out. Um, I, this kind of happened really fast, uh, like super fast. Like Dan's like, hey, I've got an interview out in Utah. Do you want to come with me? I'm like, okay, sure. So, so literally we were there Sunday night, Monday, and Tuesday. We came back Tuesday, and he gets a job. So it's like very, I mean, it's kind of this abrupt thing, but I know that God had been planning this out for a long time. And I know that uh, according to Acts, that it's God's sovereignty that places you where you are. And so God is sovereignly placing them in a town and a state that is in desperate need of the gospel of Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so I, we have some elders. You are, if you are friends, if you are family, um, we're going to pray over them. In fact, Michael, you can come up and um, you want to, you, you can just, pr will you pray over them? Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to ask Michael to, to lead the prayer. Um,
All right. Now let's get to the text. <laughs> and this is um, crazy, too, how this particular uh, passage of Scripture uh, f- fell on today. I, in fact, I knew this text was coming up. I didn't know today was going to happen with uh, Dan and Carrie until probably Wednesday or Thursday uh, when he got the call, and it's, it's going to move very rapid uh, for their family. So uh, John chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 22. A um, couple verses that you'll probably see that's are very familiar, uh, but this is kind of an overlooked section of Scripture in John chapter 3. Obviously, uh, we just got through with uh, Jesus dealing with Nicodemus, right, and the whole um, beautiful John 3.16, right? The reality of, of Christ's love for the world. And, and so Jesus painted this picture that, uh, that from the Old Testament that you've been poisoned with sin, but now here's the love of God to make uh, himself, Christ, to become the poison so that you and I can experience the freedom that he gives us. And so you see the uh, response of Nicodemus to be such filled with questions and filled with, I just can't wrap my mind around this to where now you're going to get a different response to how John the Baptist responds to Jesus coming. Because one is going to be filled with man-centered religion, man-centered philosophy that it's all about me, it's all about myself, which is what Nicodemus could not wrap his mind around. And, And then this change of course, where now John the Baptist is going to start again, beat that same drum, look to Jesus. In fact, that's been the theme of chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Look at Jesus. Like, look at him. He's Savior, I'm not. And now we're going to find this, uh, it's a very kind of sad passage, if you want to ask, if you want to know the truth about how John is depleting and shutting down the Baptist church and pointing them to go to the first church of Jesus. And I thought that was a good joke, but nobody laughed. All right, anyway. <laughs> I've been planning that all week. Come on, church. Verse 22, let's get at it. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Enon near Salim, because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. So this is probably a few months before he goes to prison and is decapitated. Very painful death. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing. And all the people are going to his church. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who was the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I love that. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who comes from earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from the heaven is above all. 
He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, and the Son has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Before I get into this, see Judson? That's more than two verses. All right, and I've also just got one point for you. And I know some of you are looking at your clock. It's already 1140. Uh, I promise this message will not be as long as that text that I just read. From this, and then I want to dive into this text if I can. And if there's one thing that I think that we can learn from probably the guy that needs to be our mentor other than Jesus, right? In the scripture, John the Baptist, here's the thing you need to know. Know your role in the kingdom of God. Understand completely. Know and understand your role that God has given you in the kingdom. And particularly in this passage, I think what John is communicating is that he understands what his role is in context when it comes to the wedding, the wedding of Christ. So let me kind of dive into this and just draw out a few things, if I can, over just the next 19 minutes uh, of our time. All of us, like you and I, we all have this desire, I believe, we have this desire to want to finish well. Like, I think it's something that's just given to us by God. We all want to finish well in this life. The issue is that many of us will not finish well. And here's the reason why I would suggest to you, the reason why some of us will not, in the end, finish well. is because we did not understand our role in the kingdom of God. We did not understand our role when it comes to the great wedding feast, when it comes to the great wedding, this arrival of Christ the second time, when it comes to the church, the bride of Christ, I would suggest to you and just lay before you this morning refuge that the reason why some of us will not finish well in our life is because we do not have an understanding of our role. Now, it's kind of hard to comprehend what's going on in this text uh, if you don't understand uh, the full scope of John the Baptist in his ministry, John's disciples, they completely understood the mission of John the Baptist. And he was always clear on his mission that he would always tell people, if you think back in chapter one, that he's not the Christ, he's not the prophet, he's not the point, Jesus is, he's just a voice in the wilderness. Like John, John's been up front with us this whole time what his role was. And for 400 years, they had not had a prophet like John the Baptist come on the scene. And finally, here's John the Baptist, booming ministry, booming church. I mean, people from all over the region are coming to hear this prophet, one that they hadn't heard from in 400 years. There hadn't been a prophet quite like this guy. 
And this guy, out of the wilderness, has this surging ministry. This star in Canaan here is coming out of the wilderness, declaring that he's not the Christ, but the one is finally here. John the Baptist was very clear what his mission was and what his role was. The issue here in this text is that his disciples, they could not fathom what their role was in the kingdom of God. Because they had been a part of this growing ministry. They had been a part of this surging ministry of John the Baptist where people were coming and repenting and being baptized. They did not expect to be on the marginalized section of this new cat in town. Surely they love Jesus. I'm not suggesting that. But surely where there was this desire in their heart was the reasoning of their question. John, why are all these people going to his ministry? Why is everybody leaving our church? Why is everybody being sent? That's the question that they're asking. Some weird rift about purification that I really don't understand. I ain't gonna lie to you. This rift like, why, why are they going to... Why are they going to his church? And I understand, I kind of feel that pain. They'd been a part of where John had been speaking to Pharisees, been calling out the leaders of the region. Not only that, but where the people who were hurt and who were being oppressed coming to repentance and being baptized. And so I understand their feeling of being marginalized and feeling like they've been placed now suddenly from being at the pinnacle of ministry in this area to now suddenly being at the very bottom last. And I would suggest to you that the reason why they probably had this heart-exposing emotion is because they could not quite understand their role in the wedding. But John the Baptist did. And John the Baptist, notice how gentle he was with his disciples. You know, John the Baptist looking at the water probably with this fire in his eyes. Now he turns to his disciples with that same compassion. And he looks at his disciples and he tells them, boys, like this, this gift that God has given you, this role that I have, man, there's not one thing on this earth that isn't given to you unless the Spirit of God gives it to you. John the Baptist understood his role was just to be a voice. And now in this sad turn of events, John the Baptist has been this voice in the wilderness where his ministry was surging and exploding. Now John whispers in our hearts with these very sad words. Guys, I'm shutting down. This is it. There's no more purpose for me. And he does this. Notice what he says. With joy. All right, that's crazy. All right, because... Because the gospel sends people out. That's not very joyous. Is it? I mean, surely I believe that we have a church that has open hands. But that doesn't mean it's not going to sting. John here, he's sending his boys that he had mentored. And he's telling them with joy, go to him. Like, go to Jesus. Like, look to him. Go follow after him. And he does this, which is crazy that I could not wrap my mind around. He does this with joy. John the Baptist is giving us an incredible example of 
impact how we are to understand our role in the wedding, our role in the church. Here's John the Baptist saying, boys, it's not about me, and it's not about you, it's not about the role that God gives you, it's, about, it's not about the gift that God gives you. Go follow Jesus. Amen. It's not about your role, because I think sometimes we view our role that God gives you, and, it, and that could be anything. Your role with time, your role with uh, resources, your role with money, your role with the gift of God that God has given you. Maybe your role is teaching, maybe your role is singing, or maybe your role is hospitality or generosity, whatever that role is. A lot of times what I see in the church is that we sometimes equate the role as the reward. But John is pointing them and telling them, listen, the role is not the reward. Jesus is the reward. And if you ever forget that, then what you have done is you have self-elevated your role into thinking that you are the point of everything. Think about that in your marriages. When you think your role is it in your marriage. How destructive that is when you are the point of everything. I mean, that is incredibly destructive for your marriages. It's incredibly destructive for uh, your jobs and, and wherever it is that God has you in. But when you view your role as just a, a way to benefit the kingdom of God or, or to build the church, then you understand that it's about Jesus and not yourself. God is quickly taking the magnifying glass off of him and his ministry because he understands that his role in being the voice in the wilderness was not the point. John's like, bro, I'm just the groomsman. I'd suggest that he's probably the best man. I mean, that's just my opinion. You ain't got to agree with that. But Jesus did say this is, ain't been another guy like this cat, all right? So, so we got the, the, the best man here saying that it's not about me. It's about Christ. And so what we get here. Like, like, think about, think about this in terms of, you guys remember that show? I don't think it's still on. Um, the Hoarders show? Some of you may have hoarders in your family. Some of you may be sitting next to the hoarder in your family. Can I tell you, and I'll help you out, repent, all right? You don't need all that stuff, okay? You don't really realize how much stuff you have, like, honestly, until you move, until you have to pack up. You're like, where all this stuff come from we have hoarders as elders apparently but think about that in terms not just in with materialistic things but think about that how we are as christians as hoarders we love to hoard things we love to hoard people they belong to me we love to hoard our gifts for ourselves we love to hoard our talents for ourselves we are hoarders by nature and we hoard all the time and the best way to destroy that spirit of hoarding is to be captivated by Jesus Christ in his sovereignty because it doesn't belong to you. People, you don't own me and I don't own you. You don't own the gifts that God has given you. You are stewards of the gifts that God has given you. And the best way to break that down in your life is to behold the sovereign will of Jesus Christ Amen. and to behold his beauty. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the best way to break and tear that junk down. With the understanding that he is sovereign, I am not. He's the point. I'm just some random dude yelling. It's all about Jesus. We're just here pointing to him. When we have this idea, when we have this, um, this concept to don't follow us, follow Jesus. Now I understand that's not the best leadership practices of our day. But what we have to do as a church is we have to set our sails so that we can catch wind of the spirit of the living God so that we can go, where are you taking us, God? So we follow after you, God. So listen to me. If God shrinks us to 50 people, it's okay if in the end we have surrendered to his sovereign will and said yes to him. If in the end we have said, yes, God, we will send people out. That's still a win. It doesn't matter how many people come and see and be entertained. That's not the point. Because if he shrinks us just to five, it's okay because we have surrendered to him. And that is a win. We know our role that our church is not the point our church is not centered around Matthew our church is not centered around you it's not centered around one personality in this place we understand that we're just groomsmen now it's interesting here because we're the bride Here's what I would suggest, and again, you can, you can sift this out how you want to. Just my opinion, I'm still sifting this, these thoughts out. Maybe I should keep these in the oven just a little bit longer, but we collectively are the bride, but we individually are the groomsmen, okay? Here's what I mean by that. The groomsmen, they have a role to play. Their role to play is like John the Baptist here rolling this out for us is to behold the beauty of the groom and behold the beauty of the bride. And it is never to take that focus off of the groom, but it's to completely keep the focus on. And that's the point of a groom. Have you ever been to a wedding? Like, think about this and how weird this would be. I mean, 911 would be called if the gr a groomsman came up and said, all right, I do. Oh, you think you do? Well, I do. I'll marry her. You know how awkward and weird that would be? I mean, that belongs on Jerry Springer, all right? <laughs> You're the real dad. What? Right? It's this weird thing. Like, think about if the groomsman said, I'll take the first dance, you sit down. Now, that makes incredible entertainment, all right? I'd have my phone up posting that thing immediately live on Facebook, okay? And it was like security coming. Y'all see how deranged my mind could be sometimes? Like I, sometimes I fantasize about these things kind of happening, right? John and Valerie may have it at your wedding. You don't know. I may stage it, right? All right. Think about how weird that is. We don't like that idea. And we would just go like, ooh, what is that guy doing? 
why is that guy storming the bride? Like, what is, what is going on? It's weird. So many times, that's what we do with our role. We think that we are the groom, but we're not. We're just groomsmen, and we are collectively the bride. We're groomsmen with a message. And notice how John the Baptist ends, perhaps, his final sermon, all right? Think about that, how Jesus described him as the greatest man that ever walked. Here he is shutting down his ministry. And he has this message because he wants everyone to understand their role. Look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son, whoever believes, look at John, he's pointing us back to Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not live, for they shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. What is our role as a church? To declare Jesus has come, not to condemn, but to bring life. That's your role. Now, how it plays itself out, and it plays itself out in many ways as a church. Think about that like when you're pulling up in your neighborhoods. Think about that in terms of when you're, you're pulling up to your job. Think about that young guys, young girls who are in school. Think about that. That was so country, young girls. <laughs> Think about that in terms when you're driving up to school, when you're going up to your job, when you're going into the restaurant, think about your role now is to declare with all conviction in my heart that Jesus has come not to condemn, but that you might have life eternally. Christ came and he loved you that much. That's our role and we believe that, that the best hope for West Point, the best hope for LaGrange, the best hope for Valley and for Lynette and our surrounding area, and the best hope for Utah is to hear Christ did not come to condemn, but he is here to bring you eternal life. Nothing that you can gain on your own of what Christ has come to give you freely. That's our role. Think about that. What kind of man and woman can you be when you understand you're not the point. You're just in a position of honor. You're just in a position that's pointing people to Jesus. Look at the groom. Look at the groom. Behold the groom. That's been this theme for three chapters. What would our church look like when we continue to align ourselves with uh, the, the wind sails of God when we're continuously saying, look at Jesus. Behold him. This is an incredibly exciting time to be a part of not refuge point, 
but the church universal and let's align ourselves with our role knowing what it is understanding what it is and what we'll do over the next few months is we'll begin to to, to lay that out more as God seems to be what he's what it's appearing that God's doing whether we like it or not and he is refocusing us and he's changing up some things what our focus should be as a church so to that end we join John the Baptist and we say decrease me so that you can increase let's pray Father